0: As we come back together this morning, uh, we are in the book of Romans, we are in the early chapters, and we are hitting now one of the uh, most famous passages in all of uh, Scripture, all of Paul's writings, and certainly uh, one foundational to the great movements of the Reformation to reinforce the truth and the promise that salvation is not a work of our effort but is a gift from a giving and gracious life-giving God. And so we take these verses very seriously because they embody a core aspect of what it is to live a life based on faith in God and his work, rather than faith in ourselves and our own abilities exclusively. And so let's put the text in front of us. We're going to start again in verse 13 just for a little context and head through verses 17. Hear now God's word. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, Both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written. The righteous shall live by faith. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would assure us again of the power and the might and the presence and the humility and the servant nature of our God. We ask that in the richness of who you are, That we would be refreshed and renewed, and that our faith would be encouraged and strengthened. As Paul has prayed and as Paul desires to do in this book, we know that his desire and for the Spirit to, through the generations, strengthen and encourage the faith of the church until you return. We ask that that would happen again in some small way this morning, and that whatever is said that is not true or useful for the building up of your people. May those words quickly be forgotten. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, This morning, uh, I was reminded of uh, my lack of safety training. I was driving by uh, Corey and Miss Zoe And I had this reflection back to uh, my days on the farm in Wyoming, where we would bumper surf, where we would all get on the back of the pickup truck on gravel roads and kind of hang off the back, sometimes drag our feet. And uh, when we had uh, stock racks on, we would climb around the outside of the stock racks while while one of our responsible cousins, usually me, uh, would drive at a safe and reasonable pace. And then we would recreate scenes from Indiana Jones Uh, and climb around the outside of the pickup truck. When my daughter was about uh, 15 years old, we were out here at a few of the, what is it, seven pools or something, a beautiful park a little bit uh, west in the mountains, and there's this about 15-foot place you can jump off and you can land in a beautiful pool that is just about deep enough for it to be safe, depending on what time of year. And in all these cases, Right? I was either encouraging Zoe that, I, that she should have faith that I would drive slowly uh, in the suburban as I encouraged her to stand on the back of the bumper, or my cousins to have faith in my driving ability as we whipped around the uh, windy ditch bank, or my daughter who was very wise and not really wanting to jump off a 15-foot rock into a small pool of water and had to be exhorted by her father that it was really safe. That she should have faith in me, that what I was asking her to do in taking this uh, reckless but fun step of faith, that she could trust me. We come to this amazing passage where Paul is talking about the faith necessary, the faith given, the faith bestowed on us by the Holy Spirit, which is both reaffirming and radically dangerous. The pagan faiths, the faiths of uh, Rome, where one uh, took within one's control a religious act to honor the emperor for temporal gain, for perhaps usefulness in the afterlife, when Israel was tempted time and time again to follow the Baals, which were fertility gods that would help your harvest grow, which would help. You have children which were necessary to help harvest the grain that you were growing. All of these things were pragmatic ways of taking a bit of faith and applying a little bit of effort on our behalf, some way of engaging in the process, leaving it not completely in the divine's hand, but in some way contributing or at least feeling like we might be able to move and lever something out of creation or that mysterious spiritual world that we might have security in this world and in the next. And to ask Abraham, to ask Isaac, to ask David, to ask one believer after another in Scripture and throughout church history to have faith that in the moment where we stand on the edge of a cliff, in the moment where we are... Asked to do something that seems far less wise than the pragmatism of the world to take that step of faith. In this passage, we've already seen that the glory of God is shown in his salvation. That is a spiritual and a physical reality. Again, just imagine if Moses had come to the children of Israel and said, Good news, you've all been set free spiritually, and someday in the future, you may in the next life experience a measure of non-slavery, and then left. I think the Hebrews would have felt somewhat short-changed. And at the same time, if all that he had offered was a simple material freedom and a rebellion against Egypt that had landed them in another land or in the wilderness without any sense of a God abiding with and transforming their very existence would have also simply felt like everything else that the world presents. Here is a short-term way to create human freedom. You can be the power by usurping the power that's been squashing you. And that's the circle of violence that most of us experience politically and socially every day. It is simply a idea that salvation comes from my ability to subject to you what you've subjected me to. I can save myself by squishing you. And God says, I am going to save you that you might be a blessing to all the nations. And that is the glory of God's salvation. And yet in the midst of that, because of the way he does it, marching us through a wilderness, providing food, running out of water, making us have to ask him again, even though he faithfully provides it, spending years in exile, and asked to be a blessing. All of the ways in which God challenges the faith. Because human faith runs out pretty quickly. Abraham's faith runs out pretty quickly. Sarah's faith runs out pretty quickly. And all of the sudden, pragmatism raises its head and suggests, well, you could take control of the use of a maidservant who's a little younger maybe this will maybe this is what god meant pragmatically i can connect the dots because it's been a long time since the, paul as a jewish man god stretched his people promising a salvation that was not meant to be done at the expense of the other but meant to be done at the Provision of justice and mercy. A God who had stretched his people over centuries. They were slaves for several hundred years in Egypt, according to the promises and realities of Scripture. The time period of the judges is for... time period of the kings... Is about 400 years. The time period of the exile from Babylon to the presence and the uh, to the birth of Christ is another 400 years. God stretches the faith of His people in the midst. He does amazing things, but they're called to wait and to rest, to believe in the goodness of God, even in times of silence or difficulty. Paul is saying that the faith that he is presenting, first to the Jew and then to the Greek, is the power of God to set people free and it is encouraged and built on the sure knowledge of faith, encouraging faith. Faith built in community. Faith built on a relationship with the divine. So salvation is not simply future, but it's also present. And faith is not simply vertical, but I want to suggest that it's also horizontal. We've talked about before how we live on a horizontal and a vertical axis. We have a direct relationship with God and we're called to live in and through the material world. Both are true and both are a part of what it means to enjoy salvation and faith and to have them built upon one another. The righteousness of God is revealed vertically and horizontally. That for Paul, there is no distinction in the sense that one can be true and the other false. Both are always true as God works and acts. That's why this book regularly is a challenge for us to read, especially this side of the Enlightenment, is because we see the spiritual And the material is often divided. It's assumed in our philosophies, it's assumed in our pragmatism, that there are ways to get things done this side of glory, and then there'll be what happens on the other side of glory. And part of what Paul is constantly calling us to do is to live like the kingdom is here now, which is going to put a crimp in pragmatism and give us a responsibility and the opportunity to live in faith in how we interact vertically and horizontally. What do I mean? Uh, First of all, uh, vertically, we have faith that Christ's work is sufficient for us, that God is with us. We feel in times of difficulty and absence sometimes of God and the Spirit in our lives. When we have fallen in. To repetitive sin, when we have fallen into a great calamity, we can doubt that God is our salvation, that we are secure, that we have been saved. And it is only in faith, not in our immediate circumstances, but in the character and nature of God that is our comfort. It is freeing to know that my circumstances, either my sin or my illness, or the sin of others against me does not determine God's salvation for me. The glory of God's salvation, it is not determined by my momentary existence. But that takes faith. It takes a faith that is given and a faith that is encouraged by you. Vertically, I need to be encouraged that my eternal situation is secure in the arms and the loving grace of God. That is what the Reformation's great credo, salvation by faith alone, gives us, reaffirms us, finds its security in verses like verse 18. It is faith, faith in the goodness of God that is our rock and is our security. It is received. It is a gift. It is something the Spirit builds in us, and it happens and is encouraged by community. You've heard me say this before, but Paul talks about in Ephesians that we have the shield of faith. And again, the context is the Roman shield, not a small shield like the uh, Germans had or the English had or they were Saxons and Mongols, whatever but big barn doors where they would form human tanks. And the one shield of a Roman soldier was only useful when he was standing next to another Roman soldier. And they would create a barrier for one another. They would protect one another. They would move in formation and there was no way to get in and attack them. That's the way faith worked. comes alongside is built. And so it's received, it's a gift. You see, that's what Paul means with from faith, for faith. From faith, the gift of God, for faith, the building up and strengthening with one another and by the Holy Spirit. Which then encourages us that faith has practical applications every day. It transforms our very lives. It makes the momentary pragmatism less and less appealing. If I have an eternal relationship with God vertically secure, if I am relationship where you are encouraging my faith and I'm encouraging yours, then that idea of it being armor, that we are in the process in the midst of seeing the enemies that had tried to stop Paul from getting to Rome, confronted by the power of a gospel salvation that transforms the world, we can imagine that as we move forward against what seems to be dark and overwhelming powers, that the faith of God moving into dark places that seem to be overwhelming can and will be dealt with as the light of the gospel is shown in those places. And what seemed to be large and immense once exposed in the light of faith becomes small in comparison to the greatness of God's salvation, the greatness of who God is, not who we are, but the greatness of who he is that brought the light itself. In our history, Before the Reformation, salvation was seen as something of a commodity, something that could be meted out by the church. On the other side of the Reformation, faith has sometimes been presented as a way that we could believe that someday on the other side of glory, things will get better faith that even though this life will be rough and brutish, that there is some utopia in heaven. The problem with both of those versions of faith is that they rob us of its transformative power to to see the character and nature of God increasingly borne out this side of glory. If I just believe that faith will happen Uh, that my faith is that someday I'll go to heaven, I may not function terribly well this side of glory. If I believe that faith is simply something to be bought and sold or salvation is, then I don't worry too much about my ethics for most of my life. And if you read history before the Reformation, you know that a lot of people really didn't think much about their salvation until right before they died. A lot of churches got built by people, in their 60s, well, or 40s, right? All of a sudden, dukes and earls started building churches when they started to head into the latter half of their life. Sadly, in the Reformation, the use of faith in a future heaven opened us to the criticism of people like Karl Marx, who said that we had simply presented an opium for the masses, that they were to endure the difficulties of this life, because someday they would get something nice on the other side. That they should have faith that someday, not here, but there, it would be better. Paul's preaching in Romans doesn't really allow for either one. It is not a commodity to be sold because it is a gift of God's free grace. And Paul is going to preach to the Romans that there's hope this side of glory for them to be both Jew and Gentile in the same church, that they're going to be able to care for one another weaker or stronger because their faith in who God is, their faith in his salvation, will give them the resources to make a difference now. Not perfectly, not utopian-esque, but nonetheless, a faith that when they live as God has called them to, that God will honor and bless that that it can and will reap a harvest, that our faith is not in a God who is simply vertical, but a God who has come near and lived in and through this world and declared that the good news was that there was now healing for the blind and the lame, freedom for the prisoner, the mercy and grace of God that breaks the power of the past and gives us the hope of eternity even now that's what paul is not ashamed of because that's where real freedom comes from the vertical and the horizontal brought together brought together because they were meant to impact one another to build on each other this side and for all eternity so questions that i'd encourage you to to wrestle with on the back side of this is that On the horizontal, one of the ways that our faith pragmatically can be challenged is we do begin to see salvation and power through, in some way or another, superiority or the ability to subject others to our will. In faith, in the best sense of what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, who do you or who should you be praying about serving, about seeing yourself as not better than but equal to and saved by the grace of God. Where is your faith on the horizontal need to be stretched in extending grace and mercy even to the enemy? Where is your faith that Jesus being hung on a cross is actually the glory of God need to be manifested in your heart and your life? Where do you need to die that Christ might rise? Knowing or believing in faith that that is his greatest way of showing his strength through you. And where does your faith need to be encouraged? And how are you allowing others to encourage your faith? Are you running around with a small shield of faith as if it's a aspect that you can individually defend yourself against the flaming darts and arrows of the enemy? Or are you standing shoulder to shoulder with brothers and sisters in Christ because you need their faith to protect and encourage you? Faith for faith. It is both passive and powerful to be a people of faith. It is passive in the sense that faith is something that we are believing has happened to us and for us. It is powerful when that faith changes the way we're able to interact in times where fear, in times where need, in times where expediency would cause us to act contrary to the faith that we have. May we be people of both wonderful passive faith, built up by the Spirit, and may that faith transform us into powerful means of encouraging the salvation that comes through Christ alone, in one another and in our world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you be merciful to the preaching of your word again. Thank you that faith is a gift. Thank you that faith is a motivating factor, that we can trust you that even when you stretch us in times of danger, in times where we cannot see the floor, you tell us to take the next step. Lord, we ask that we would trust the goodness of who you are, and may that faith breed and encourage, strengthen one another, and may it spread. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.